Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Danny Mac Show with BK. Tanner is with us. This is the, what is it, Wednesday? Right? I think yes. yes okay, it's officially hump day. Hump day. We've, okay. we've arrived, Danny. All right. It's kind of like Groundhog Day in COVID-19 sometimes, so I had to catch myself. So it's the Wednesday edition of the show. Rick Horton is going to be with us. He'll check in from down in Jupiter. We'll find out if he's been to the complex or just playing golf the entire time. What do you think? Golf or the complex? I feel like he's had a steady diet of both. Yeah, probably right. Probably right. That's uh, how Ricky, that's how he rolls. So we'll get uh, some updates from Ricky and get his thoughts on what's happening with camp. I don't know if it's going to be an eventful camp, to be honest with you, because a lot of the roster is set. I was listening to Scoops with Danny Mac this morning. I heard you talking ah. about that with uh, with Bill Walton. and it, Brian Walton. Brian Walton, excuse yep. me. Bill Walton, very different person. Yes. Uh, Brian Walton. And it's a good point. I mean, really, when you think about it, the roster battles that we're talking about are like the fifth outfield spot or the final spot on the bench as your utility infielder. And then really it's those last reliever spots and they're going to change throughout the season. Yep. So it, as much as we do pay attention to that opening 26 man opening day roster, it doesn't matter that much. It's going to change two weeks from then. It's going to change a lot this year. I, I think we could see BK and I, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong about this, but because of the lack of innings last year, this is across the board in, in baseball. You may see more innings, uh, more injuries pop up because of the lack of innings last year. I hope I'm wrong. I hope certain guys are just able to grind through it. And they're like, hey, yeah, I'm a little bit more tired or a little bit more sore. But I think as we get into the season, maybe that's where it kind of shows up. I, I hope I'm wrong about that. The other thing that would make it for the Cardinals point of view, an interesting camp is if they had an injury and, and hope knock on wood they don't but if they do yes they have depth with their pitching but you may see them be active in something that's out there that intrigues them that that always happens with certain teams at the end of camp so we talk a lot about the advances in baseball when it comes to the analytics right and we look hard at the numbers the the data that we can see on a sheet of paper i think the thing that doesn't probably get talked about enough and i know you've seen a lot of this firsthand with what the cardinals are doing it's not just the numbers that are kind of the advanced data. It's also the biometric stuff that they do. Oh, and yeah. so they take, they will take a baseline, especially right now out in spring training to see, okay, here's where these guys are at. Here is where their stamina is today. Here's what the workload looks like right now. And then they will literally, maybe not daily, but regularly check up on these guys to see where they're at. And so if you're in the yellow or the orange or however you color code it, Okay, we should back off of him a little bit right now. If you get into the red, ooh, he might need to be shut down for a couple of weeks. Might be time for a 10-day IL stint. And so these teams are going to be relying heavily on that kind of data going into this season as well. It's not just the numbers that we see on a sheet of paper. It's also what they hold privately. And so I, I wonder how that plays into this season. They do baseline testing all the time. That's done all the time throughout the season. And it's a great point. I mean, they'll see guys that do get worn out 
And they're like, okay, we got to back him off. We got to shut him down in some cases. Not necessarily it's an injury. It's just it's wear and tear. It's they get tired. They have the uh, the the chances to look and say, okay, guys, wearing out. We need to back them off. And it's warning signs. Basically. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Uh, there's a few things I want to get to before Rick Horton and. Um, I think first on the list is just Tiger Woods, how it just controlled the entire media last night. I was talking about it in the crossover. I don't care what news station you watch, national, local. It was all wall-to-wall Tiger Woods. And it it just made me think, this guy has not only transcended golf, but he's transcended sports to the point that the casual fan or even the non-sports fan, non-golf fan watches that and is interested in what's happening with an individual that is so important to not only his sport, but sports in general, BK, that you saw government news being pushed out, pushed back in a a news block. COVID-19 updates and vaccine updates were pushed back to get to the news at Tiger Woods. You don't do that with any other athlete. LeBron, Tom Brady maybe, but globally, it's Tiger Woods. I think Serena maybe would be on that list as but well. I don't know if tennis has the foothold of golf, though, in this town I, I, or in, in the United States. You know, we we're talking off the air. If you said Ronaldo or Messi or those kind of guys. Globally, yeah, sure. Globally, but yet they don't have the foothold in the United States. I think Serena might. Um, but forgetting the semantics of it, you're right. I think like Ali had that at one point here in the United States. And obviously with his tragic passing it, we we saw what that looked like with the news channels covering that LeBron has that. I was talking with my fiance last night about this because she's more, she's a better gauge on this stuff than I am because we're in it, right? Like who are the athletes that have a bigger name brand that cross over to a wider audience than Tiger Woods? I think it might just be Michael Jordan right now in terms of the guys over the, like the modern history, the last 30 That's years the name or so. I brought up. He's probably the only one that has a, a wider audience, at least here in America, than Tiger Woods does. I, I'm thinking like, so globally, LeBron, Tiger, in this no particular order, Michael Jordan, and it, it's not Tom Brady, even though here I agree. it would be huge. Um, you know, baseball you don't have a guy Mm-mm. you're talking about someone that transcends sports and he's transcended it in ways his celebrity the ups and downs of his personal life yeah this salaciousness uh, of no his question. story at times um what he's done to bring young people into the game of golf he's he completely changed golf i was saying this i mean if you your viewing habits of golf, and here are mine. I love golf, so I watch it all the time. But if I know Tiger's in the tournament, I'm on an app or something that I can... If they're following his group on an app, I'm watching that. Maybe more so than watching the guy that is leading the tournament over Tiger Woods by 15 shots. Because he might do something that's so remarkable and I want to watch it. I, I just want to watch him play. That's how much he has meant to the sport. But in sports in general, his brand... Everything about it, it was just uh, incredible. But what caught my attention was the amount of news coverage, not just sports, but news coverage that everyone was giving to this uh, terrible accident yesterday in L.A. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We do have a few people that mentioned Kobe Bryant was in this category as well. That's certainly another. I I think if you look at basketball, that is the, the game because of the sneakers, because of the global nature of the game. Kobe, LeBron, Michael, those three over the last 
30 years or so, those would certainly be the ones that come out of that sport. I, I didn't realize Kobe as much until he passed. I would say I, you could feel it because I think part of that, too, is he was in L.A. and they won so many titles and he was such a a mega star within the sport. So I, I think he's up there as well. But I think the other thing locally here in St. Louis that's interesting about this story is that St. Louis is forever going to be tied to Tiger Woods now because of the PGA Championship and what that meant to his comeback. That was that was the tournament where it felt like the question of can Tiger actually do this? Can he come back? It felt like the answer for the first time without having some sort of like tiger coated glasses on. You could actually say the the answer to that question is yes. And he might be able to actually win a Masters. And then he did. And so for me, being at that event, and I know a lot of our listeners were at were at that PGA championship here in St. Louis. There's forever a tie, a link between St. Louis and Tiger Woods as well. That is kind of a weird, familiar sense between this city and him. The other thing that I think about with globally with athletes is how they tie in endorsements. And you've got to realize that Michael Jordan, what he did for Nike is incredible. And the tentacles of what he did with his brand are in all sports. For instance, if you're watching Yadier Molina, you see the jump man on his chest protector. Um, think about what Tiger did for Nike. Yeah. It's massive. He had his own Gatorade line. Yeah. I mean, those kind of things also make the brand even bigger. It is uh, here in St. Louis, 10-12, and we have Blues Hockey coming up tonight. want to tell you about that. That's at uh, 101 ESPN, the pregame at 7.30. Notice the start time. It's a later start time. It's a nationally televised game, so we'll have it for you at 7.30. It's the Blues and the Kings, um, and there's some other things I want to touch in with college basketball later in the show, but Oof. Carl Gunnarsson, fifth player on the injured reserve. Looks like his season is done. We'll, we'll be done with knee, uh, knee surgery. <laughs> I'm not sure how the Blues get through this stretch with the amount of injuries that are piling up. Survive in advance, Dan. That's what it is in the NCAA tournament. We'll talk college basketball later. That's how it is right now for the Blues. All you got to do is really try to find a way to get to March 9th. I know that sounds kind of doom and gloom right now, but these next, I think it's seven games are against the California teams, LA, San Jose, and Anaheim. After that, you've got a three-day off period where you you can regret recoup rest a little bit and then you get into games against vegas and colorado you have some of the tougher matchups on the schedule go about 500 in this period you can do that while you're getting some of these guys back hopefully bozak's able to return schwartz is able to get back into the lineup then you can get ready for that stretch run but for the here and now i think it's all about trying to stay around 500 in this stretch this is the danny mac show with bk the podcast powered by i promise Danny Max show. It is a Wednesday. BK is with us as well. And Tanner Hendrickson, our producer engineer. We go south down to Jupiter, Florida, spring training home of the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's where I find my good buddy, one of my broadcast partners, Rick Horton. He's probably on number nine, maybe making the turn somewhere. Ricky, where do we where do we find you this morning? And, and great to hear from you. Well, I'm actually sitting outside the hotel and I'm, I'm looking at the uh, water and the boats. And so uh, the sun is shining. So I guess I don't want to rub that in because I understand St. Louis got good, great weather just when we left. So yes. uh, that's kind of Murphy's Law at work. But I was over in the ballpark today, Dan, and uh, really, 
you know, I've, I got that, a little bit of an understanding of what the players dealt with all year last year where, you know, they'd go to Chicago, but they really wouldn't be in Chicago. They'd be at the ballpark and the hotel and that's it. Cause really not a lot of access at this point, uh, even for me. And so, you know, I watched a lot of people walk around in tents is all I really did this morning, but, uh, but I know they're going after it. Yeah. Give me a little scene set of what it's like, uh, at camp. We hear there's tents everywhere. Folks right. are socially distant, uh, temperature checks, maybe COVID tests, that kind of thing. What, what, what's the scene like? Can you kind of give us a little description of that? All of that, all of what you just said, and, and, and a lot of social distancing going on, even how the guys are getting treatment and, and, and working out. They're actually, they have a tent just for lifting weights, and so that's its own little tent. And, uh, you know, as far as the media access, uh, there's, a, there's an access point uh, beyond the backfield, Dan. I know you love to go out on the backfield. You know I do. There's an, entrance, there's an entrance that you come in, and you can actually go up into the tower and watch a workout, but there's only uh, a couple that can do it every day or every hour. And so I haven't had a chance to even do that yet. So you know, several have, and several of the writers that have been down here uh, longer. But, uh, you know, at some point I'll do that this weekend. But it's very limited access. So you're essentially just looking through a fence. So that's what I did today, look through the fence. And I will say this, it's nice to have uh, any kind of spring training feel and uh, be uh, at Roger Dean Stadium. I mean, there's just some good feeling uh, moments about that. But uh, still, uh, you, you get that memory, uh, you get that reminder uh, every few minutes that it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same for sure. Rick Horton is our guest, a uh, broadcast partner, and great to visit with Rick. And thanks for your time, Ricky, for doing this. Of course. Um, I, I was saying with BK in the opening segment, I, you know, I've done, done my little, you know, 26-man roster because that's what we do, right? We yeah. like to see what of the course. battles it, might be. Is that on a receipt, Dan? It is on a It's on a Bass <laughs> Pro Shops receipt. <laughs> I, I went to Bass Pro Shops. I dropped my kid off. I went to Bass Pro Shops to, to get him a, a fishing pole for the spring. in the car, just writing yeah. down your 26-man roster so for the Cardinals? I, I just started, yeah, and I put it in my pocket every day, so I have it. Um, so I don't have a lot of camp battles, Ricky. It's kind of weird. No. I mean, there's just not a lot of camp battles. It seems like a lot of spots might already be settled. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I think with the, you know, Colton Long not re-signing and Dexter Fowler uh, moving uh, to uh, California, I think that really has kind of taken away all of the uh, the battle options, really, because you know the young outfielders are going to get their chances, and Tommy Edmonds going to get a chance to play second baseman. And, and, and Matt Carpenter has been very honest about Matt Carpenter uh, not being a starter this, at this point. But as, as Mo said, you know, he, he, he hits, he plays, and they'll find a place for his bat. And he can, he's, you know, brought the multiple gloves down here to play second and third and first. But, uh, you know, beyond that, there's, there's no real mystery of what's going on. Perhaps, perhaps the battle as things uh, go on would be in the starting rotation. I'd say that there, there could be maybe not for kind of the number of people or who's on the, on the, on the full pitching staff, but who's actually going to be in that rotation. You know Carlos Martinez wants to be, uh, but as he's been told, he needs to earn that. Who do you think are the contenders for that spot, Rick? Well, I think, you know, John Gann has also come out, and, and, and I knew from, I talked to John this winter, and, and one thing he said is he still considers himself a starter. And, and it's not that he doesn't have the company line, which we all kind of, in that boat, we all say, look, we'll do whatever we need to do. But if you, if you push me to say, what do I really want to do? If you push John Gant, he's going to say, I want to be a starter. And, and he's kind of a wild card in this. And, you know, of course, Ponce de Leon is too. So, uh, and, but, but things will have to happen and fall. And we also know this, that, that all the people that are in that spot, you know, Wainwright and, and Michaelis and, you know, and Kim, you, you know, they're kind of the guys in there, but you know, things happen. I mean, things happen in spring training. Guys aren't ready. Guys maybe have a soreness and have to take a couple of weeks before they're ready for that first start. And so you have to have six or seven guys ready for it. And you throw Alex Reyes into that 
uh, boat as well. It's interesting you mentioned that. It, and one of the guys that we haven't really talked about much in that conversation is Genesis Cabrera. He's, he started right. games for the Cardinals in the past, and there was some talk that maybe eventually he would get that opportunity again. Rick, when you look at this bullpen and the way that it sets up for this season, how many of these guys do you think have a shot to start for the Cardinals in the future? I mean, whether it be Cabrera or Gant, I know there's been some talk at times about Hicks potentially being that guy. How many of these guys are actually going to get that opportunity at some point with the Cardinals? And we haven't even said uh, Oviedo's name yet, and he's a guy that actually was in the rotation mm-hmm. last year. And now that was out of necessity a bit, but you know he had some nice moments too. So there are plenty of bodies and you know, the pitching coach and the manager and the general manager always sit down and say, okay, where, where do we need him the most? And I think that's going to be the deciding factor. And uh, one thing I do think will be a benefit of having all these guys that can do both. And again, Ponce is in that boat. You know, Austin Gomber would have been had he not gotten traded. So that was, that's another body that we kind of thrown in there as a starter slash reliever. Uh, but, you know, wherever, wherever they end up, I mean, they're going to have guys that can throw multiple innings out of the bullpen. And I think with a 162-game schedule following a short season, you're going to want as many bodies out there that can throw two or three innings at a time, and I think the Cardinals have plenty of those. I'm really curious, Ricky, your thoughts on this. You, and you had a, a really good career in terms of being able to be flexible. You could start, you closed, you were middle relief, you were set up, you did a little bit of everything, and then you were coaching in the professional ranks. Um, and so the question would be about a six-man rotation or a piggyback. And from your experience as a player or being a coach, and now what we're dealing with in 2021, their team's already saying they're going to do this. And who knows, the Cardinals may do this and not say it actually is, but you just watch the actions of how Mike would manage, and maybe that's going to be a six-man rotation at times or a piggyback. What are your thoughts on that going into this season? Well, I I had a a, a chance to chat with Gary LaRock this winter, and we talked about the difference between, and even what they're going to do in the minor league, the difference between a piggyback and a six-man rotation. And and he made a comment, got me thinking about it, and you know, six-man rotation, and, and I would think as a coach, too, I would have felt the same way. You know, six-man rotation makes a lot more sense than a piggyback for me. Because a piggyback, you're going to throw two guys enough innings in a day that you're going to not have either one of them for, for six days or five days. So, I mean, I just I never really liked the thought of the piggyback. It didn't make much sense to me. But a six-man rotation certainly makes more sense. And there's several teams talking about doing that. I mean, in, in the, on all the manager chats in the offseason at the winter meeting, several said that they were committing – the six-man rotation, even at that point in time, they were just saying that's hey, that's what we're doing. And so, it, you know, I could see it happening. I would say occasionally. I don't know that Mike Schilt is planning that out of the box, but it doesn't mean that certain uh, schedule issues, including double headers, might necessitate that. And you know, hopefully, we don't have to deal with a lot of COVID issues. But of course, we've learned in the last twelve months you can't predict that either. Yeah, and you led me into my next point or question, which was about the six-man rotation. As you know. Starters are creatures of habit, and guys are going to yeah. say, I want to be on my you know, schedule. I've got it planned out. I'm looking at it. But I do wonder, with off days, and if you're trying to bank innings for later in the season, because then you have to go through the gauntlet of postseason play, if it's not beneficial to to skip a guy here and there or let them miss a start, that kind of thing. I, I do wonder if the if more teams are going to do that this year. Well, I think the eye test will tell you whether a guy needs that, and you can kind of tell a guy's just maybe losing a mile an hour or two, and the, then maybe the ball's not biting the same way or his command's off a little bit. He's like, well, you know, maybe getting an extra day might not be a bad thing. And I think managers typically try to find those anyway. Uh, as for players and their habits, Dan, I think uh, you know, Mike Maddox 
says this uh, regularly to his players and to his pitchers that that uh, professional pitchers in, in the big leagues are elite adjusters, and you need to be an elite adjuster. And that's on multiple levels. That's from pitch to pitch, batter to batter, inning to inning. But it's also, oh, you're going to pitch on the fifth day. Now you're going to pitch on the sixth day. Well, figure it out. <laughs> and so uh, needing to make adjustments and do it well. You know, Adam Wainwright has been adjusting the last three years, and that's why he's still in the conversation right now. That's why he's still a, a formidable guy to have on your team because he's been able to make some adjustments. Yes, he likes his habits, but he's also made, make, able to make adjustments when needed. Rick, who do you think is going to be the closer for this team on opening day? Oh, boy. So so I, I prefer the question who's going to be the closer on on October 1st. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that sounds like a John Mosellock line, I, I admit, but like, oh, I can feel it. I don't mind. Uh, but but opening, I think it's going to change a lot. And, and, I, and I think it's possible that there'll be multiple guys uh, in that mix. I, I mean, I certainly think Jordan Hicks is, is in the conversation. Alex Reyes is in the conversation. And you mentioned Hennessy's Cabrera. I mean, I saw him at moments last year, and I thought, this dude is unhittable. I mean, he's just unhittable. So, uh, I, I mean, if I had to say right right now, and you also could say Carlos Martinez, if, if he's not a, you know, maybe he's a closer. And so, you know, he's not going to want to hear that at this moment. But if he doesn't get in the rotation, that may be what happens. I, I think if I had to say right now, I'd say Alex Reyes, but uh, that's just really a guess and a feel. Uh, but, you know, I, things are going to change probably five times between now and opening day. If this was a normal spring, you and I would be on the backfields looking at some of those those young players and seeing <clears throat> the adjustments that guys make from year to year. We've heard about Thompson. We've heard about Liberator. We've heard about the transfer of Gorman going to second base, maybe a little outfield. Is there somebody, as people are watching the games this spring, or a number of players that you are excited to watch, that you would be intrigued to watch that could help this team potentially this year, young players specifically? Well, I think Zach Thompson is the guy that I'm most excited about. Just, I mean, seeing him last year, I thought this dude has uh, got all, got everything. He's got kind of the poise and the stuff, and and I and I can picture him being a factor sooner than later. He's a college pitcher, different than Libertor. Uh, they both have you know electric stuff. They're both left-handed. They both have bright futures. But I think when you're when you're looking at a guy who's a starter uh, at, at a college level and has all those innings, a little bit older. I think he may be a little bit more polished at this point, but, you know, and that's maybe the guy I'm thinking of. So, you know, I'm, I, there's, you know, several other guys that, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, I mean, Junior Fernandez did not show well last year, but and you could say that about several people. Lane Thomas did not show well last year, but I would also say uh, for the more and more we've learned about guys that have dealt with COVID, uh, you, you almost have to throw those stats out the window. You have guys coming back that are not, you know, 100% who they were. You know, two other bullpen names. Haven't even said it. Cody Whitley would be one, and Ryan Helsley another could close as well. Last question that I've got for Rick Horton joining us here on 101 ESPN. The two guys that are kind of at the end of this position player roster right now, at least in my estimation, are Justin Williams and Edmundo Sosa. We haven't seen a ton of them in the bigs, Rick, but you've, you've been able to see those guys like you've been talking about on the backfields. What can Cardinals fans expect from Justin Williams and Edmundo Sosa this season, in your opinion? So, so Williams has surprising pop in his bat. Uh, I mean, you know, I think the, the thing for him has got to be, you know, consistency. And, you know, he, he had a monster AAA season a couple of years ago, a really good player. So, I mean, that's why the Cardinals got him. So he certainly has potential. But, 
you know, you'd like to see it just more consistent. And that's, of course, you could say that about a lot of, uh, of young players that are trying to make into the big leagues. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see where that ends up with Sosa. I think the difference we saw last year in Sosa, and I would imagine the same is true, is he developed some pop in his bat that he did not have two years prior. I remember him as a, as a young minor leaguer when Dan and I would go down and, and talk to the minor leaguers about, you know, some of the things that from a media point of view that they could be expecting at the big league level. And that was always a, you know, a, a fun thing to be able to do. But I remember Sosa and I thought, boy, this is a little guy, but he doesn't look like a little guy anymore. Mm-hmm. He, he's got some, some strength and some pop. You know, Ricky, uh, this is my final question. We have made history in this interview, and you're a part of it, so I'm excited about this. We are 13 minutes into the interview, and and we have not mentioned the name of Nolan Arenado, so that is a record here at 101 ESPN. So congratulations. Uh, The trophy's in the mail. Don't think we didn't think about him. Exactly. (laughs) He was the backdrop to the entire interview. So uh, my final question is, I I also like to do lineups. You know, I like to play with some lineups here. So is that also on the receipt, Dan? uh, I actually have a couple (laughs) down here that I wrote on my Bass Pro Shops uh, receipt. I think you could could auction that off, by the way. I think people would pay for it. People pay some big money for your uh, your, your receipt with a lineup on it. Well, you know how I like to tell everybody to get your autograph when we're down in spring training. So maybe (laughs) I would have to do that, too, and get this on there. There you go. There you um, go. So <laughs> that's an inside joke, but I'll tell you it that later. And a funny one, and I'll miss it. <laughs> I, I'm missing it too this year. Um, how do you think that plays out? I mean, you, you got one way or another, you're going to have Arenado, Goldschmidt, you know, either 3 4 or 2 3, but they're sandwiched in there. So you got length in the lineup. Yeah. I, I'm so intrigued with like giving Tommy Edmond the first crack at it at the top of the lineup. And if it doesn't work, man, I've thought about Dylan Carlson at the top. I, I've. I've done a lot of different things with this lineup. What, what, do you have any initial thoughts on how Mike may do this? So Mike was asked specifically about whether or not he thought of Dylan Carlson as a leadoff hitter, and he said, at this point, I am not. that's not in one of our combinations or permutations. He says it doesn't mean it won't be at some point. So, but at this point, I think they want him to be in a danger spot uh, in the middle of the lineup. Well, I actually like Dylan Carlson second. I mean, be, that's where I'd like to see him, right in front of Arenado. Yep. And now you do have your switch hitters at the top of the lineup, but Carlson runs well. And, I, I mean, I just think that he's going to see good pitches to hit. Might be good for him. I think Paul DeYoung certainly could hit second also. But I'm with you. I think Tommy Edmond is your leadoff hitter right now until things change. Ricky, awesome stuff, my man. Thanks so much. Hit him straight. Enjoy it down there, and I'm sure we'll catch up up here very soon. Yeah, great to chat with you guys. You bet. You got it. That's Rick Horton, one of the great people in our industry and one of my best friends. Um, normally what we have to do, we have to when we're doing our games on television, we have to walk through the crowd and tape our open. And Ricky's always screaming at fans before I get there, give Dan trouble, give Dan trouble. So they're always screaming at me and all this stuff. So finally I said one day, I just said, hey, everybody, line up right now, right in this row. Ricky just told me he would love to sign autographs for anybody that would like autographs. And I mean 50 people, then is 100 people. He's down That's there right, tremendous. right until the first pitch. And then he got up to the booth and I said, okay, I had the last word now. Shut up. <laughs> so I always say, Ricky's ready for the autographs, ladies and gentlemen. Come on down. You got kids? Hey, bring them on down. He'd love to sign your glove, and jersey. Uncle, grandma, let's get them all over get here. Get them all over here. and Because you can't say no. He's got to no, be nice. Then you look like a jerk. That's right. So he was down there having to sign autographs every day, and that's what I like to do to him to get in trouble. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Dan, I wanted to get this question to you. From the 618, guys, number of Cardinals pitchers that will uh, have at least five saves this season. They set the over-under at three and a half. 
over under three and a half Cardinals pitchers Ooh. with at least five saves this season. Ooh, that's really good. Um, I'll take the over. I'm going to say that at least four pitchers get at least five saves. Yeah, I'd say Hicks, Gallegos. Um, I'm going to throw Miller in there potentially. Now that's did it last year at times. That's my wild card on this. Um, you think Reyes gets that many opportunities? I think Reyes could. You could have multi-inning saves with him. Yeah, you, yeah that's the guy I'm kind of leaning towards. And we've seen Cabrera in high leverage situations. He's before. another one. I, I just think that initially the Cardinals will be very, very careful with Jordan Hicks. You know, you're going to see him pitch. Don't get me wrong. But as I've said many times, I believe the last three outs are different than any other outs. There's just the pressure of the game, the pressure of the save. You're amped up. Not to say you're not amped up in the seventh or the eighth if the game's on the line, but I think they're going to try to ease him back in. I really do. What about you? I think they will, too, and I think they should. Um, I, I see no issues with that, especially early on in the season because you have so much depth in the bullpen. This is one of the things. Like, If you have a great lineup, one of the advantages is you're going to have a really good hitter that's batting you know, second or sixth, right? In your bullpen right now for the Cardinals, you have so many tremendous arms that if you need to get a guy, buy him a couple of weeks of throwing him in the seventh inning instead of in the higher leverage situations, you you can do that because you have so many other options that can be able to hold down the job at the back end. I agree totally. And I think the first couple of months, if not three months, you're pretty careful. It's going to be incumbent on Mike Maddox to get to Mike Shield and then vice versa and pull the other guy back from the phone and say, no, 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 no. Don't call him not today. Because when you've got a guy that can throw 103, yeah. it's, it's pretty tempting it's to it, call that guy in for the closing situation. It's very tempting. It is. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac, BK with you as we take you up until 11. Uh, I love some of the texts that we get, and it's a question I have thought about. And I've asked some people that would know, medical professionals that have done this type of surgery. And this is from the 618. Is Jordan Hicks fully recovered from Tommy John? The answer is yes. Uh, will he be throwing harder? And people would say, how could he possibly throw harder? And I actually asked a couple of doctors about this concerning Tommy John. A lot of times guys do come back throwing harder. I'll, I'll never forget Matt Morris doing a game. Um, we were in Arizona. He came out of the bullpen before they were going to put him back in the rotation and he's hitting 99 on the gun. And I'm like, wow, we didn't see that before. And he's consistently at 99. It happens a lot where guys have Tommy John and they actually throw harder. So I asked about Hicks specifically to a couple of doctors and they were saying, BK, yeah, you know, with a guy like that, he's, he's really special. And I said, yeah, obviously he throws 103, 105, yeah, you'll, you'll probably see 100 to 101, and then could he throw harder? Yeah, he could. I said, how could he possibly? They said, well, when we say throw harder, would you see like 106, 107? Probably not, but you may see consistency at triple digits more so than, you know, sometimes if Hicks is used but previous before the injury, let's say he went three out of four or, you know, four out of six, you would see the velocity dip ever so slightly. Not a lot, but he'd still throw very, very hard. They said he may see more consistency in the triple digits, which is something to consider going forward with Jordan Hicks. It's just unbelievable. His average sinker velocity, Dan, I'm looking at kind of the breakdown right now, is right around 101 miles an it's hour. Incredible. Which is just insane. I mean, that's like the 
the peak that we would have seen a decade ago was that. Like, that's the fastest that anybody could possibly throw the like baseball. Once, you know, a guy hits 101 and you're like, oh, my. And they light up the scoreboard, right? right? And right. it's like, whoa, what? It's incredible. Um, there was a couple of basketball notes I talked about earlier that I wanted to get into. Slew and Mizzou. We don't need to talk about it, Dan. It's Mizzou, okay. 60-53 loss at home to Ole Miss. They had a three-minute scoreless stretch down the uh, down the, the second half. They're now 14-7. and seven. They're 500 in the SEC. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. They've got Texas A&M scheduled for Saturday. That game, they're going to find out if they haven't already, whether or not they're going to play that mm-hmm. because of COVID. And then they go to at Florida on March 3rd. They still have potential makeups with Vandy and LSU. I, I got to wonder if this is a team now. I do. They're still top 25. They won't be after this week. But have they gone from being number 10 in the country to being on the bubble? And it very well could be that case because... Here's the thing, BK, and this is what's going to be fascinating this year with the selection committee. The Blue Bloods are starting to get hot, and they're starting to make some noise. Will the selection committee finally take a harder, and they have to do their homework better than ever this year Mm -hmm. to see who's been on the floor. What was your schedule like? Was your best player out? How long did you have to deal with COVID? Almost every team in the country has dealt with COVID, and this pertains to SLU. Um, and I think SLU right now is on the outside looking in because of yesterday. But they're going to have to do a better job of looking at the schedule and how it affected teams more so than any other year going into this particular selection committee. Another example would be like the Missouri Valley Conference, St. Louis-based. I pay very close attention to their teams. They have two teams that probably should get in. But if you start letting some of these blue bloods get in that have had down years just because they're blue bloods and they're starting to get hot – then all of a sudden some of these teams that are bubble teams that you would think a month ago gets in, they're going to be out. And there's going to be some confusion with that going forward. I'll be very surprised if Mizzou doesn't make the tournament just because of the way that I know that this is mumbo jumbo. Well, they've had some fans, great quad wins. It's and, quad one yeah. wins. And that's basically beating really, really high level teams. Mizzou has a lot of those, including against Illinois head to head. And so that's, that's going to be what gets them in. Now, if we're talking about seeding, though, I think they're falling to that seven or eight line now. They, they are officially entering that zone of you're going to play a one or a two seed if you win that first round matchup. If they play this weekend, you got to win this weekend. Absolutely. And then if you get Vandy and LSU back on your schedule, you got to split those at least. And then I think you're in. So I think two out of the three. I think you're guaranteed to be in it, barring something completely catastrophic happening. The, I, I, th- I would be very surprised if they don't get in. I think what they're playing for right now is to avoid that. 8, 9, 10 line. I did a lot of the slew games earlier this year, and um, they were really good, really good. And then COVID hit them and hit them hard. The A-10 right now, I've got them maybe being a two-bid league. So slew is 11-5. and five. Uh, They are 500 in the A-10. They're only going to have 10, uh, uh, 10 league games that they'll play as opposed to like Richmond is at 13, VCU's at 14. That's going to hurt them. So does the committee, and I, I think they're on the outside now, does the committee take a hard look and say when SLU is right and when they were fully healthy, they were a top 25 team. And even when they were hit with COVID, they were still voted in the top 25 because people knew they were a very good team. They're not playing to that level that they were earlier this season. It's completely unfair what's happened to them, but I don't think that the committee can put them in. And again, that's completely unfair to slew because they got ravaged by by COVID. And you, you mentioned a lot of teams have. I don't know that anybody's been hit in the country 
harder than what happened to Slew this and they're year. Just, they're not playing at the level that they played at earlier no. this year, and the committee does look at that. So when the Blue Bloods start getting hot now, and they're rolling into the tournament, and SLU is not, it's a different part in the season. And you're not playing in a Power 5 conference. Right. You're not playing in what... It's going to be really, really difficult for them to be able to get in this year, barring them winning their conference tournament. I don't think they can get an at-large bid, unfortunately. All right, we're going to talk about Harrison Bader. Cross it over when we come back. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. All right, Danny Mac Show with BK. It is, remind me again, Wednesday. Wednesday, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where we are. Okay. All right. I'm I think good. So. I, I'm solid. All right. I'm, I'm on it. St. Louis, Missouri. It's nice outside. It Dan. is nice. Yesterday, I I got the grill out. Good I grilled up some chicken, some turkey burgers. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Tomorrow, I'm looking forward to this. Um, he runs the Gamers, which is a really good baseball program for kids here in St. Louis. Matt Whiteside, who pitched in the major leagues, called St. Louis home. Talk about uh, basically development of kids that are playing baseball and i want to get into what they do with analytics launch angle like i don't know about ubk when i was told to play baseball like you know hit the ball hard right hit the ball now kids are taught launch angle i want to get into it i played one year of uh little league baseball dan is it gonna surprise nobody uh i was machine pitch at the time yeah Going to field to grounder. I, I heard. Uh, I actually heard BT mention something about this the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, that was me." Uh, was going to field to grounder. Took one in the grill. Took one right into the grill. Busted my lip right open. I said, "Don't think baseball's for me." <laughs> Ma, I think I'm going to try something else. Harrison Bader met with the media yesterday, and he talked about the fact that. And you mentioned this earlier, BK. There are a lot of options right now in the outfield. A lot of guys. Um, you know, I, I put it all on myself. Um, you know, guys might be moving around, but it's my job to make everybody aware of what's going on. Um, and, and what I mean by that is communication. You know, communication is obviously very important, whether it be coming in with your infielders, going to your left or to your right, to your left fielder, right fielder. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's my job to to make it just an, an imperative thing. And um, and yeah, I mean, everybody does a really good job of that. There is an understanding of it. So it's like I need to like, you know, pound it really home but um you know I, I do put it all on me to to go out there and, and explain you know what i expect of myself and my guy to my left and to my right because we are a unit out there center fielders will do this and it almost sounds like a guy that's trying to be the leader and you're saying to yourself now why would he say those things well here's why he is the oldest cardinal outfielder he's 25 Tyler O'Neill was acquired in 17, along with Lane Thomas. Justin Williams in 2018. I think Justin might be a little bit older, actually, than I think he's 26. But in terms of experience, you're talking about he's a leader of the pack right now. And, you know, Dylan Carlson is, what, 21, 22 years old. Dylan ba- Carlson, is, or excuse me, Harrison Bader is about a year older than Justin Williams. So you were right. We're talking about, and as it relates to Justin Williams, he said to me this time last year in spring training, he said, Danny Mack, this is make or break for me. He said, I, I got I to gotta show what I can do. I'm starting to get older. Kind of looked at him. Well, 25 years old. He said, yeah, but I played one, one day in the big leagues, you know, with Tampa Bay. He has one day of major league service prior to last year. And that's where it, this is a big year for Bader. Adjusting against right-handed pitching. The defense, we're not going to question that. He's, he's a very good, potentially elite center fielder. Very good. The, I think the question for the Cardinals will be, 
is how long is the leash with Bader against right-handed pitching early in the season? When you have options, and especially if other guys are hitting. So Dylan Carlson can play center. Lane Thomas can play center. If you wanted to put Tyler O'Neill, I don't like it, but if you wanted to, you can put him in center. And so those are some of the things when you think about roster construction or you think about lineups day you have to take into consideration what are the best matchups. And as we've seen, Bader struggles against right-handed pitching. You may see him at times sit against those right-handers if he doesn't establish early on that he's made those adjustments. It's a really big deal because 70% of the pitchers that you see are right-handed over the course of a regular season. So if he's not able to hit against those guys, you're basically talking about a an accent piece to your outfield as opposed to a guy that's out there every day. I think that you can overcome that, though, with this lineup if the guys that you think can step up do. If Harrison Bader ends up being a 240 hitter with a low on base percentage, it's for a little bit of power, and he's just kind of making his way floating through the season, but Dylan Carlson steps up, and you get a really good year out of Paul DeYoung, and the guys in the middle of your order step up the way that you're expecting them to, and maybe one of those other outfielders, uh, Tyler O'Neill, has a good season. Okay, now you're batting Harrison Bader eighth or ninth in your lineup. He's playing gold glove defense for you in center field, and now you've got Kevin Kiermeyer for the Rays last year. That's not such a bad thing to have when other guys in the lineup are performing. Especially in the National League, when you double switch or you have to make a late-inning replacement He's the guy that goes out there. Mm-hmm. Then you shift Carlson to right, others to left. That's something to keep in mind, too. So his value is there. It's just sometimes I think we get frustrated in seeing him against right-handed pitching. I also believe there's more power there to be shown, which would keep him in the lineup. Jimmy Edmonds has told me he thinks he can be a 2025 home run guy. And that may surprise some people. But if Jimmy's telling me that, I take it for his word. You know, he the power is there. And I think we've seen that it spurts with his power. It can make a difference as to whether or not you stay oh, in there. He can he can really mash lefties, too. Yes. You know, we've seen that. His slugging percentage against left-handed pitching is outstanding over the course of his career. I think he has like an 850 OPS against lefties. That's really good. That dude against lefties should play every single day. The question is, what's he going to be able to do against righties this year? All right, we've got the crossover. It's coming up. I'm ready for it. Three hours of you telling me why the Blues are going to win tonight. That's actually exactly where we're, where we're going to begin the show today. <laughs> Enough of the doom and gloom. Yes. We are talking about the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Next man up mentality. Let's get back on the train. We'll do that coming up here in just a little bit. We have Darren Payne coming up at 1130 and Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues at 130. All right. Looking forward to that, Tanner. Great job. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow at 10. You've been listening to Danny Mac show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.